Well, we have been looking at the book of Acts and uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Very exciting time. And uh, we're up to chapter 2, starting at verse 13 today. And um, in one sense, today we're going to hear a sermon by Peter. But in one sense, we're going to see, we're going to hear the sermon, the sermon. Actually, it's the first Christian sermon preached. Do you know that? Jesus died, was raised from the dead, and here is the uh, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers the church, and the Holy Spirit makes the church what it is. And so we're going to hear um, what Peter says, which is really God's word. Now, last week, we heard the way that the believers started to tell of the wonders of God in languages that were given to them. And, uh, and, and then it says in verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and explained, uh, sorry, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see dreams, will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now we'll stop there. I'm going to go on a bit later on. So we heard last week that many heard them speaking in their own language and they were amazed. But others mocked them. They just sound like they're drunk. Now, I, I just I am going to make this point. Some people say, oh, they must have looked like they were drunk. Maybe they were falling over and staggering, which is just silliness, actually, laughing uncontrollably or whatever. What the people were saying is, you can hear and speaking in foreign languages. If we don't understand those foreign languages, it's just babble. They sound like they're drunk. Okay? Why I say that is because people then say, well, that'll be a sign of the Holy Spirit. Staggering and falling over and laughing uncontrollably. Um, I tell you, the, the sign of the Holy Spirit is telling of the wonders of God. And that's what's happening. And what Peter is saying is, no, you've got to listen to this. He says, listen carefully, all of you, because this is a very big moment. This is what was prophesied. And what he says at the start is, remember when Joel said about this? Joel said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. And here's the pouring out of the spirit. So what does this mean? The last days have arrived. The last days are here. By the way, if you want to know what the last days is, the last days is the, what the last days are. What the, you want to know what this last days means? The last days is the time from the coming of the spirit to the return of Christ, which means we're still living in. That's the last days. It is the age of the church, but it's the age of the Spirit in the church. The age of the church witnessing to Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the era of the church 
bearing witness to the wonders of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That doesn't actually mean everybody on earth. What it's saying is all believers, because in the past, who received the Holy Spirit? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on David, but it didn't come on his wife. It didn't come on the people of the kingdom. It came on one person here. It came on one of the judges. The Holy Spirit came on different people. And so it's not talking about uh, all people, but all believers will receive the Holy Spirit. And he's going to make clear in a minute, you can receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. And all will prophesy. Young, old, men and women. All will prophesy. And that prophesying is given a definition in this whole passage. Prophesying is bearing witness to Jesus. Yep. Waiting Jerusalem, says Jesus, says Jesus in, in chapter 1 verse 8. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. Yep. You will prophesy. You will tell the truth about Jesus. Prophecy is that gift of the Spirit that Paul says, I wish you all had it. I wish you could all speak of the wonders of Jesus. I wish you could all tell of what he's done. I wish you could all bear witness to the Father and his work. All believers will prophesy. All believers will highlight the truth of Scripture. Now you'll notice, I'll just make this point. In this passage, Peter speaks a number of times as, as it says in the Old Testament. As it says in the Old Testament. He's quoting this like he's a Bible scholar, this fisherman. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bear witness to the truth of Jesus in the Old Testament too. Yep, he will prophesy, bear witness to all that Jesus. Because, and I know I keep banging on about this, but it, it, the, the heresies we have in our church today are often caused by misunderstanding of this. In Revelation 19.10 it says, For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears witness to Jesus. Did you hear that? The spirit of prophecy, or even you could say the Holy Spirit in prophecy, bears witness or bears testimony to Jesus. As he just said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will speak. You will prophesy about what? About Christ. Is that kind of a letdown or just about Jesus again? <laughs> this is the sermon. This is the most important thing you'll ever hear. Sorry, not because I'm saying it, because uh, God is saying it by his spirit. So what this passage is saying is that when you show and when you speak and when you proclaim and when you preach Christ Jesus, when you preach the gospel, when you preach the good news, wherever that takes place, whether it's talking one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's talking in front of a group, whatever form that takes, right? take that opportunity to proclaim Christ because that is the work of the Holy Spirit living in you. In Numbers 11.29, Moses said this, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Well, guess what? That's what happened at Pentecost. They all became prophets and the Lord put his spirit on all of them. 
Then the continues, Peter says with the Joel's prophecy, I'll show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now that could be, I don't really know actually, it could be talking about the crucifixion where the sun turned dark and that was at the Passover time and uh, apparently, like people say, there was a blood moon that time. Could be that. It could be looking forward to the end, the second coming, when everything uh, is drawn to its end. But in any case, the day, this final day or whatever, is a day where we should consider seriously the things of God, the power of God, the holiness of God that is on display on this day of Pentecost. This is a day to consider the majestic, the awesome, the holiness of God. Because the day of the Lord is coming. And in a sense, the day of the Lord is here. Now, the believers were telling of the wonders of God. They were prophesying in other languages. And now Peter gets up and he speaks this sermon. He preaches. By the way, when, do you know how um, people come to faith? Through proclaiming. How can they know unless we speak the word of Jesus? And he gets up and he speaks the word of Jesus. It must be a good sermon because 3,000 people are converted this day. That's a reasonably good one. Oh, worth listening to, maybe. Um, but what I want you to see here is, it's not, they were, they were speaking in tongues, telling the ones of God, and then he got up and gave a boring sermon about Jesus. He is doing exactly what they were doing. He's telling of the wonders of God and everything that's happened. He's not changing the subject. Okay, Because, as I said before, the basis for all true prophecy is about Jesus. So he starts in verse 22. He says this. Fellow, he's just explained what's going on with the Holy Spirit first. Then he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence. He's quoting a psalm there, right? He's quoting David's psalm. And then he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. You, you know, he says, David said, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. But if you walk down... Cemetery Street, you'll find David's grave. grave. So what's he talking about? But he was a prophet, that's David, and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. See what was to come? Seeing what was to come, sorry, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promise 
Holy Spirit and he has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Okay, I'm going to bring out five. You could talk on this sermon for the rest of your life. I'm going to bring out five points about Jesus that he focuses on. Point one comes from verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth is a man accredited to you by God by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. You, you people gathered, you all saw Jesus. So, by the way, we're 50 days after uh, the crucifixion, resurrection sort of time. Okay, All you people, you, you heard about Jesus. Most of you went and saw him speak. Yeah, You saw the miracles we've done. You, you know he did all that, don't you? That's what he's saying, Right? What did these show? It showed these miracles, these signs, these healings, walking on water, the the feeding of 5,000. They showed that Jesus was accredited by God. Jesus was from God. He was the son of God. Jesus was the king. And Peter says twice about all these miraculous signs, God did these through Jesus. God is saying, this one called Jesus is the one who is from me. He has my Damp of authentication. He's the one. Jesus is the one that God gave his God gave his spirit to. And all of these signs point to Jesus. He's the one sent by God. That's point one that he says about Jesus. You know him, you know what happened. He is from God, obviously. Point two. Verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Right, everyone knew what happened in Jerusalem about the, the crucifixion too. And I imagine that a, quite a lot of them were really quite confused about why would the Son of God do all these great things and then be crucified? Yep, was this a monumental failure? The one who seemed to have so much hope ended up dead on a cross under the judgment of God because that's what a cross is. Cursed by God. And Peter's saying, no, this was God's plan right from the beginning. It was his deliberate plan. It was always God's plan that Jesus had to die. In fact, Jesus had said many times, son of man must go up to Jerusalem there, he'll be put to death under the chief priests and, and so on. This is no accident. This is what God had planned from the beginning. The cross is the way we know that the forgiveness of sins would, become, would come to the world because there Jesus bore the sins of the world. Now, did you notice that Peter says this? You, did you hear the you? You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing the cross. It's like he's, it's like he's pointing. You. Well, they weren't, you know, all those people that were gathered there, they weren't all those ones who said crucify him. Some of them might have been, but definitely. These are people from all over the world, Jews coming. And he's saying, you crucified him. Why does Peter say you're the ones who killed him? But he says that because it's true. <laughs> who put Jesus to death? Why did the crucifixion happen? Because of the sin of humanity. So I could point at myself first, but I can also point at you and go, 
Who put Jesus to death? You did. I did. We did. We put him to death. Who crucified Jesus? We. We had the help of some wicked men who helped us along the way, but we made happen what God had always planned would happen. Isn't that that awesome? That's point two. Point one was some miracles and stuff. Jesus is obviously the Son of God. Point two, he died on the cross. Point three, he makes the resurrection of Jesus. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But verse 24 says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why was it impossible? Because Jesus was the perfect Son of God and he hadn't sinned, and God glorified him and showed that he was worthy to be the Son of God. Jesus was raised to life. We're told that there were many witnesses who were probably a lot of them kicking around that day. At one point, apparently 1 Corinthians 15 said, Jesus appeared to about 500 of them. You know, the one you saw crucified, not everybody saw Jesus raised from the dead, but he spoke with a big crowd. You know that crucifixion? Well, we want to tell you something. Jesus was raised to life. He is the Son of God. He is the hope of the world. Jesus is the real thing. Look to him. Point three. Point four, verse 32. God raised this Jesus to life, and we're witnesses of it all, exalted to the right hand of God. You know this one who was, did ministry? You saw that. The one who was crucified, the one who was raised to life. He is exalted to the right hand of God. What does that mean? He is exalted to rule over all. He's the ruler of everything. He's at the right hand of God. That's that's. Bible language for he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Peter's saying, you know David, the great king of Israel? He didn't go to God's right hand and rule over all things. But Jesus, the greater king, did. And there he has all power and all authority and he's bringing all of his enemies under his power. He's making him like a footstool. So when he sits at night in his couch, he puts his feet on him. That's not the picture, but anyway... Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the ruler of all. That's point four that Peter speaks. And point five, Jesus is the one pouring out the Holy Spirit on you today. It says, God raised this Jesus to life, verse 32, and you are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and he has poured out what you now see and hear. The Father gave Jesus authority to pour out the Holy Spirit on the people that day. Jesus is the one, as John the Baptist said, who will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. You know that Jesus, he's saying, that you heard teaching? You remember him? You went to hear the Sermon on the Mount or something? He's now at God's right hand, ascended, and he right now is pouring the Holy Spirit out. That's that Jesus. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's proclaiming about Jesus. Jesus, this is what Peter's saying. Jesus was the one shown to you to be from God by signs and wonders. Jesus is the one who was part of God's eternal plan to deal with your sins by the crucifixion. Jesus was raised to life by God. Jesus is God's right hand ruling over all things and Jesus is right now pouring out the Holy Spirit on you. Can you see that's Peter's sermon? So this is Peter, the fisherman. 
who up to this point had really been doubtful. He had been nervous. He had been mixed up. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies what the Holy Spirit says and he, at a weak and broken and unschooled fisherman, a normal believer, is prophesying, telling of the wonders of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we should all long for as Christians. Yeah? When the Spirit comes, we should long to be powerful witnesses to Jesus, to tell the story of Jesus. It is not when the Holy Spirit comes we get to fulfil all our selfish dreams. You get this. Sometimes when we hear the Holy Spirit, that's what we hear. When you get the Holy Spirit, everything's going to be great. We're going to have a nice life. We're going to be rich and comfortable and, 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 and rubbish like that. The Holy Spirit prophesies through believers about the glory of Jesus. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will not glorify yourself. You will glorify Jesus. Do you get that? You'll be all on about Jesus. That's the life of the believer. That's the end of my little tangent, but I want you to see it. This is what we're on about. Do you know what we are? We're Jesus people. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be more Jesus people than any other Jesus people around. (laughs) Because that's what we're on about. We tell the glory of Christ. And Peter sums up his sermon in verse 36, just so you hear again. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's bringing home his point. You crucified him. You rejected him. You rejected this Lord and ruler of all. Now, was Peter trying to give him a hard time? Was Peter trying, is he pouring out a guilt trip on people he thought were guilty? No, 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 he's just telling the truth of God in the power of the Spirit. There's plenty of hope here because he's already said, by the way, and it's going to be said twice in this passage, and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the day of salvation. The people have been confronted with a great truth of Jesus this day. Not a great truth. They have been confronted with the great truth. You get that? The heart of who Jesus is. And they are convicted. Convicted by who? By the same Holy Spirit that's been poured out on them. They are, it says, cut to the heart, or the Greek says something like cut to the heart, stung to the heart. Confronted with the holiness of God. They receive the gift of the conviction of guilt that leads to repentance. That is a great and beautiful gift of the Spirit. They realise, as Peter's speaking, this is true. This is true. This is Jesus. What are they saying? They realised, as Peter was speaking, we crucified him. We crucified the Lord of glory. Do you know that without that revelation, there is no salvation? Without the truth of the Spirit bringing to us, we crucified the Lord of glory, you cannot be saved. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because you see, 
You can't receive the good news unless you hear the word of the Spirit will convict you of your sin because we crucified Christ. Unless you hear that, you will not see your need for salvation. If the church denies sin as an issue, they will deny salvation as a need. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, you crucified Jesus. We need to hear that. He is not there to tell them nice words about their possibilities and that everyone's wonderful and great. He is there to tell them the truth of Jesus, which brings repentance and new life. Verse 37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, turn from your sin, turn from your rejection of God, turn from your ignorance about Jesus. Now, he is not saying, come down the front and say a sinner's prayer, although that, that can be helpful. He's not saying be spiritual. He's not saying, hey, what must we do to save? Well, go to church. That'll do it, won't it? He's not saying, I'm giving you hope for a better life in this world, as in you, you, everything will come good. He is saying, repent, turn fully to God, submit to him and see the truth of this message of Jesus Christ, who is the King of all, the Lord of all. This one that you crucified is Lord and Messiah. He is the promised one of the Old Testament. He is the Saviour who is to come and he's the King of all. He's saying, be baptised. Now in Mark 10, Jesus showed what baptism meant. It says, can you be baptised into the cup of suffering which I'll go through? To be baptised, firstly, we know the water bit, we understand that, but baptism in water is a symbol of being baptised into Christ, being baptised into his death and being baptised into his resurrection. That's the first bit. That's the most important bit and baptism symbolises that. For the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven which through men which can be saved. We're going to hear in Acts 4. You will have your sins forgiven. You will be restored to the holy God who brings billows of smoke and fire. And baptism in water is a sign of that. And... Not only that, will you have your sins forgiven, you will receive the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You will prophesy. The promise, he says, is for you and your children. He pulls out the you again, by the way. Hear that? You crucified him, but this promise is for you, people. It's a good promise. You want, it's good when someone points at you and says, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You'll receive this promise. That's good too. You and your children and for all who are far off. This is going to flow out of you to your kids. It's going to flow out to people far away on all who will call on the name of God, on the Lord our God. 
And just as a sub note, by the way, if you think, if, you know, you just read that sermon and you think, well, that would have taken Peter about five minutes. It says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So he just went on. He, he spoke for a long time. It's good to speak for a long time. <laughs> Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This truth of Jesus that came in the first sermon after the Holy Spirit came upon all flesh is the central message of the Christian church. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the promise is the same today. For all who will call on the name of the Lord today will receive the forgiveness of sins. And be saved. And we receive the Holy Spirit. That's awesome, isn't it? And pray. Father, I pray that this message would not be one just for our thinking, but one that penetrates our hearts, that we would see the greatness of your son Jesus, that we would see his holiness, that we would say, see your plan of salvation through all of time that we would see that he is the one. And Father, that you would bring to us this wonderful gift of repentance, that we might turn from ourselves, from our sin, and from everything hollow and corrupt in this world, that we would turn to you and we would trust in your son Jesus and be baptised into his name and into all that he's done for us. And Father, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us and that we would be bold to bear witness to your Son Jesus to the ends of the earth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.